Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So... Turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk 80s with your host, Lindsay Parker. Hi, I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment and Sirius XM Volume, and this is a special stuck at home, or safe at home if you prefer, episode of Totally 80s. And since we're obviously all stuck at home, why not take a second to follow us at Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram, or you can email us your comments and show ideas at podcast at totally80s.com. So obviously we're trying something different with this episode. We're streaming it on video. We're living on video as well as on our, as well as on our Totally 80s YouTube channel. So check us out there if you're so inclined. And joining me today, speak of the 80s devil, right now is my partner in all things 80s, the other John Hughes. Hello, John. What's going on? Oh, just, you know, nothing. Nothing's changed much in the world since I last saw you. Anything in the news? Anything going on? You know, for the uh, for me to be stuck at home, surrounded by music and things I love, (laughs) I'm I'm really miserable. It's kind of funny and ironic because the very first podcast we ever did for Totally 80s or one of the first was the Cold War Paranoia playlist. Kind of, <laughs> kind of. we were ahead of our time, I guess. I don't know. We, no. it's, it, it's a fitting playlist. Check that one out on the Totally 80s podcast if you guys haven't heard that. But right now we have a special guest joining us today. I'm real excited about this. He is a comedian, a producer. He's a multi-hyphenate, radio personality, writer for television shows like Billy on the Street, Girl Boss, Wet Hot American Summer, First Day of Camp and a personal favorite of ours here, Difficult People. And he's also an experienced podcaster. So I'm feeling a little bit intimidated right now, to be honest, because you may know him from his excellent podcast, The Fogelness Files. So spoiler alert, I think you know who this is, uh, which you haven't gone back and check out. You should really check that out. And most importantly, people who listen to this particular podcast will probably remember this guy best as the creator and host of the MTV pioneering show Squirt TV, a show he started in his bedroom. So he was definitely ahead of his time when he was just 14 years old. So we are stoked to welcome to Totally 80s, Jake Fogelness. Thanks, everybody. Wow. Nice shirt. Thank you. Yes, you you can. People can get these. Uh, Night Flight has a streaming service. I know. I've been binging it lately. It's pretty. It's pretty great. Wow. That intro makes me sound like a big get. You are. We're stuck. We're excited. All right. So this is going to be a great conversation. We're feeling very charitable today. That's another spoiler alert because charity, charity is on our minds Uh, again, ahead of the time, because a lot of people with the current, uh, you know, thing we're having with this pandemic and stuff, there's so many, you know, charity concerts and that's great, but this is not a new trend. Uh, Honestly, it's kind of funny because I think immediately when people think of the eighties, we don't think of people, we think of it as being a selfish time. We think the me decade, we think excess. We think Dynasty, Dallas, Alex P. Keaton, piles of shoulder pads, piles of jewelry, piles of hair, piles of cocaine. But, 
you know, pop stars were at, in the 80s trying to give back. Now, did they have ulterior self-serving motives? Maybe. Did the money necessarily end up in the right hands? Possibly not. Uh, was it some of it patronizing or even like downright colonial? Perhaps. But... <laughs> There was a lot of there was some good and more most importantly there was some good music that came out of it some good 80s moments so today we are going to talk all about some of the charitable events of the 80s band-aid live aid farm aid even here in aid which i don't know if many people remember because let's face it we are all stars we are all <laughs> stars we are the world so i guess uh obviously the first place to start is is band-aid because you know sir bob geldoff as he is formerly known he kind of kicked this all off with what i consider to be mid-year doesn't agree with me the best christmas song of all time no not the best 80s christmas song not the best charities christmas song screw it off red rose reindeer f off white christmas do they know it's Christmas? It's the best Christmas song of all time. It's the hill I'm gonna die on. Discuss. I'm giving you, I'm giving you the RCA dog head tilt because <laughs> it's such a, he hates. Well, I wouldn't say Major hates the song. It hates a strong word, but I've been well, reading a couple times about it. He he thinks it's like just okay. Midge doesn't get the credit that he is due for um, for for Live Aid for 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 Band Aid. Like sort of he he you know. Sir Bob is a very big personality, but Midge was, you know, 100 percent in there in the mix, Mm -hmm. making all that stuff happen with Bob Geldof. He actually wrote the entire he not only co-wrote the song with Bob, but he played every single instrument except the drums, which were by Bill Collins. So I can get why Midge is a little like, uh, you know, as someone who's, uh, you know, helped launch a lot of people's careers. uh, I get it. I get it. I'm with Midge on this one. Is it the best Christmas song of all time? Yes. Against like <laughs> Slade's Merry Christmas, everybody. Like, uh, we'll save that for the Totally Seventies podcast. No, I'm not doing. I'm not doing the Totally Seventies podcast. <laughs> I, 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 it, it, come on, but, but I'm just saying. Like, there's a lot of great Christmas songs. It's a great Christmas song. I I, I love it every year. It's certainly. Uh, um, a lot better than Sir Paul McCartney's Christmas song, uh, which also <laughs> gets a little bit more flack than it should, but it is terribly annoying. Um, uh, I, I always like to, if somebody's playing Simply Having a Wonderful Christmas Time, I always like to swap it out for Temporary Secretary. Just <laughs> as a, just as like, I, yeah, I know it's not a Christmas song, but it, it gets me in the spirit. Well, um, when... When I interviewed Mitch, I wouldn't say he was actually bitter. He was just so saying it's not. He actually, and he, uh, I think both of you might agree with me. It's okay to be bitter. He just said that he thinks it's not his best work. And what he thinks is, the, you know, if it was just a song that hadn't been recorded by every single major 80s star of England in 1984, capturing that moment in time when all of our minds were blown that all these people got in the same studio together, Duran Duran, Boy George, Spandau, et cetera, that people wouldn't really think of this song very fondly. He says he thinks it's an amazing moment in time, yes. but not necessarily not his, a great his song. Best work. No, it's not his best work. That would be great. That would be crazy. It's not, let's, no, let's give no Mitch a smidge here. I, I think I'll give him more than a smidge. Yeah, he needs some credit. But let's talk about how big that they everyone thought Paul Young was going to be, um, and how he was featured so heavily in that song. Like he was going to be the big future superstar. He yeah. actually opens he, he, the song. He, but, he, what do you mean he, he he's not? He's not big. <laughs> well, actually, you know. 
You know what's in, funny? I don't know. To the point, maybe in to my the point, yeah. Maybe to the point that's uh, funny uh, that Midge doesn't feel too fondly of this song is about a year and a half, two years ago, Midge and Paul Young went on tour together. And I mm-hmm. saw them at the El Rey out here in L.A. And they, you know, they did separate sets. But at the end, they get on stage for an encore. I'm like, this is it. They're going to do the do you know, it's Christmas. What other song could they do? Instead, they do The Boys Are Back in Town by Thin Lizzy together. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, that's, yeah. They have a tour. I was so bummed. But yeah, to your point, John, well, you know, Midshire was in Thin Lizzy for like a second. So I guess yeah. that was it. But anyway. Well, also, also, that's a cool song to end your show with. Yeah, but I wanted I wanted my moment. But yeah, to your point, John, Paul opened the song. He got the first line, which means, yeah, they were kind of like, we got to start with someone big. And they could have had Bono. They could have had George Michael. They could have had Sting. You know, instead, they had Paul Young. But I, I like Paul Young. But do you know who was the first person who actually sang, like approached the mic in the studio was? Uh, I know the real answer, but I'm going to give you my joke answer first. Marilyn. Uh, the real answer <laughs> is Tony Hadley. <laughs> Never forget Marilyn. Marilyn was there. Never forget no, that. I, I've heard this. Is it true? Does anybody know? Did Marilyn crash? I heard Marilyn crashed. <laughs> what do you mean? Crash like career-wise? No, it was not invited. <laughs> oh. Friggin' showed up like, I'm here, you know, hair, hair flip. Well, I don't know about that, but here are the fun facts I know from my Midge interview, just a rundown of fact. One, speaking of Spandau, you know, we've talked before on the Duran Duran podcast we did for Totally 80s, that Duran Duran Spandau were like always in this rivalry. They were the Oasis versus Blur of their day. So they were in a race from whatever respective, you know, countries they were gallivanting around in to see who would get to the studio first. And Midge does not remember who got to the studio first, but he does remember that Tony was the one that broke the ice and said, I'll sing first. So like Spano kind of won. The other thing is not super environmentally sound. Speaking of racing to get there, they invited everybody. And Marilyn's more famous friend, Boy George, of course, was <laughs> top of the list. You know, Boy, you know, Culture Club was so huge in 84. And he wasn't there yet. Everybody else was there. Duran Duran were there. Status Quo was there. Everybody was there. I, so, feel, I, I feel, though, I, just to interject, as a, as a uh, very uh, important uh, 90s cult figure uh, myself, you, you, you know, you brought up Blur versus Oasis, and, and that is often a, a topic of, of argument. And the answer to Blur versus Oasis is, of course, Pulp. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's actually great that you brought up Pulp because Pulp do an amazing parody of the Band-Aid recording yeah, session with bad cover versions. Yes. We'll get into Very parodies good. later, but that's the number one parody is that one. It's <laughs> genius. Yeah, Pulp are like one of my favorite bands ever. We'll do a totally 90s podcast too. We'll invite you back. Yes. But Board George was asleep in, in New York and Bob, I don't know if it was Bob or Midge, but someone called him and was like, where are you? Everybody else is here. And he's like, oh shit, I like overslept or whatever. And he's like, who's there? Who's there? Because everybody, you know, is very competitive. Yeah, yeah guys, a, a lot of there, a lot of people were oversleeping at that time uh-huh. in London. And, uh, you know, look, uh, uh, here's the thing about being in rock and roll. Sometimes you oversleep, you know. Uh, <laughs> you don't I, oversleep. I, I, haven't oversle- I, I haven't overslept in almost 14 years, but, you know, oversleeping, it's been, it's a problem. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, we we really I was thinking about right now in this situation, what are people who oversleep a lot? What are they going to do? How, are they? Uh, <laughs> they have no excuse anymore. Yeah. You know, 
<laughs> this is their time. This is their time to shine. Nap time. But to finish my thoughts, so basically, Boy George was like, "Well, who else is there?" Bob was like, "Literally everybody who's a big deal in New Wave is here, except you. It looks really bad that you're not here." Get and so not environmentally sound, considering that they were supposed to be helping the world. But he got on a Concord mm-hmm. and from New York and got there in time. You know, hustled over there just to do his part. Uh, didn't get that first line that either went to Paul Young or Tony Hadley, depending on which version of history you're going but you know when when i saw this as a kid it was a big deal this was a to have all these people together on one song whether you want to debate whether it was a good song which it was or yeah. not yeah, yeah. the fact that they were all together and this is what kick-started everything we're going to talk about this is what kick-started you know all of these charity songs and i i think it holds up but are you guys aware of all of the uh, remakes that have been done of the song. It's been remade three times. Well, yeah, I mean, I imagine they're, you know, they're always trying to trot it out to get that Christmas number one, you know, in, in England. So, you know, why would you not go to the nostalgia of it? But, uh, you know, the, I, the original to me, uh, you know, which which really is the thing that kicked off the, the, the charity craze of the eighties where, by the way, all the money was uh, mishandled and it's going to happen again. Uh, uh, so just look forward to that uh, in our time right now. Uh, but, 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 but seeing that video for the first time uh, on MTV and, and, and I, I believe buying the single, which I, I'm pretty sure I still have. Yeah, it, I was, have it. it was so uh, much fun. And, uh, and so such cool artists and such with like, the right spirit in, intended and you had the classic Geldof guilt you know uh, uh, playing in you know hey, hey man you want to you don't want to not show up for this uh, you're going to look like an ass but uh, well, it, let's talk about the, the biggest band of 1984 did not show up who is that Frankie goes to Hollywood but if you have the single they're on the backside. <laughs> The flip side, the B side, is just a bunch of people who couldn't show up being like, feed the world. Feed, and actually, Sorry. speaking of feed the world, it's kind of funny because I was talking to a friend of mine, a millennial. He thought, and this actually goes back to what I was saying where Midger thinks that it wasn't a good song. This song doesn't really have a chorus, right? The closest thing that has a chorus is like the 10 minutes of feed the world at the yeah, end. Yeah. Yeah, My it. millennial friend thought that these were two different songs. He thought there was a song called Do They Know It's Christmas and a song called Feed the world because they sound like two different songs and he's heard just jointed bits of them you know in supermarkets or whatever he didn't realize they were the same song i educated him but the backside, the b-side of the vinyl single has random people like david bowie and stuff talking you actually know a millennial what are they like (laughs) i've been i have lots of millennial friends if millennials aren't really that that uh that young to be honest they're like late 20s to late 30s so i got a few I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm turning 70 next week, so <laughs> you look great. Thank you. I uh, yeah, I'm looking. So you were looking, really 14 when you started Squirt TV. Oh right? no, no, that was it. That, that was, was a, a Doogie Howser situation. Yeah, that was a huge. That was a huge press lie. <laughs> uh, to to <laughs> no, I was 14 when that when that started, and uh, I have to. I I, I have it now, and. Um, uh, I own it. I own that show. And uh, I put out a little bit of it on uh, 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 Instagram, my Instagram uh, yesterday, because uh, somebody else was like, hey, look at this clip. And I was like, oh, well, if you want it, I've got a really good quality version of it. And now it's just sitting here all digitized, all ready to be monetized. And maybe you 
forced out not sign it over to Viacom back in the day. Oh, no, no. I, uh, no. Well, here was the thing. I had done a public access show, right? It's mm-hmm. a pre-existing show. I also, so, so MTV, uh, listen, this is, the, this is behind the scenes stuff, but I, here's what I knew. I knew that Letterman owned his show. And I knew that Carson owned his show. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is so I, and there was a bidding war for the show between uh, a fledgling Comedy Central and, uh, and MTV. Obviously, it was going to go to MTV. It was the much bigger network at that time. This was even before South Park. But as part of the, the bidding war, uh, ownership was, uh, uh, was on the table. So um, basically, I've been really good at show business since I was six. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, that's why I'm blissfully in development right now and not in some Zoom meeting uh, right now some <laughs> thing that I have no passion for. Well, I'm very glad that instead of doing a Zoom <laughs> meeting, you chose to do this instead. Oh, yeah, this is a that's blast. Well, let me, let's go back to, uh, to Do They Know It's Christmas for a minute because I did want to mention honorable mentions, a couple other ways to enjoy this song. Have either of you seen when, speaking of Christmas number one, when they were on top of the pops, you know, as we all know, on top of the pops, everyone mimes along. Yes. They got whoever could do it. And then they're like, hey, people that weren't on the song, hey, uh, Tears for Fears, hey, Thompson Twins. <laughs> and then Bono wasn't there. So Bill, Paul Weller like lip syncs his line like super awkwardly. And like Simon LeBron. They cut to Simon LeBond. He's not lip syncing his line when he's supposed to. It's the best. It's the gift that keeps look- on giving every Christmas time. Thank you, YouTube. I have to look that up. I'm it's not so amazing. Not and then, watch that. Yeah, but then there's amazing. a couple other versions. There's the stock a- Aiken Waterman version of 1989 that has uh-huh. you know Kylie and Bross and all those people. I think yes. Gasly's on it. I'm very fond of Band Aid 20 from 2004. Speaking of Britpop, Pulp are not on this, but it has Ash. Cole, members of Ash, Coldplay, Morchiba, The Divine Comedy, Tur- Turn Breaks, Keen, Snow Patrol, Sugar Babes, uh, The yeah. Thrills, Supergrass, Radiohead, Blur. I don't, not Oasis, but Blur. Every- and Dizzy Rascal rapping and Justin Hawkins from The Darkness singing like super high. It's great. I think he does the Bono part. No, wait, Bono was there and did the Bono part. Every band that is basically their albums on vinyl are worth a fortune on Discogs right now for some reason. Yeah. For some it, reason. It's like, It what? very much captured, a, much like the 84 version captured a, a very specific moment in time like you yeah. know when i was looking at it actually the day to brush up i'm like oh the thrills yeah i remember them <laughs> but speaking but speaking of bono i think this is a good transition to just talk about like the whole like phenomenon of these charity songs in the 80s because some people say that a lot of these endeavors didn't age well they seem kind of patronizing they seem like this kind of like white heroes can see that you know doesn't that now seems a little like tone deaf and the there's, line there's things from three weeks ago on twitter that don't age well and seem too. a little tone deaf well bono had the breakout line uh i talked to midge about this where you know at the time you two were not the they were big but they weren't the u2 no. of the joshua tree that no. we know now that would come a couple years later and he had the big breakout line where everyone took a step back in the studio and was like oh wow that that's a moment that's a great vocal moment and it's a line that when people complain about this song they usually point to which is tonight thank god it's them instead of you and when i heard that line then even then 
I didn't take that literally. I took it as like, oh, this is tapping into the guilt we have when we're, it's kind of the guilt we're feeling now. Like we're safe at home during this pandemic. Thank God we have food and a place to live. And there's other people who are not, thank God it's not us. So I got what it was tapping into that sort of guilt that people have when they're privileged and they're acknowledging it. But a lot of people do not like that line. And I could be mistaken, but I think in more recent versions of the song, they've changed that line. So what do you guys think about the whole tone of this of this sort of these well-meaning things that might now seem like kind of like oh it's a little toned up i i get a little slack because it was done so quickly on the fly i mean it was literally put together what overnight so mm-hmm. you know. is it, is it, am i correct but like isn't the story that like bob geldoff was watching like a documentary on yes. uh, on the bbc uh, and was just like, that's not right. We got to, de- I, I don't know why I yeah. keep doing yeah. Bob no, Geldof's voice, but like, I'm, I'm enjoying about, like, it. Keep it going. Do the whole he, podcast in that voice. God, give him the, give, give, pick up the phone, give him the money. Um, uh, I feel like he was watching a thing on TV probably in a nice house because you know the boomtown rats i mean they i don't know if they were the biggest band but they certainly had a few bucks i would i would and he's watching a a thing on the bbc uh, and it's terrible and he said we should do something and he and he did you know get off his ass and and here's my thing about it like punch at your weight level with these things like right now here's what i can't do I can't go to a hospital and help because I am not a doctor. Okay. So there's two things I can do. Uh, so there, but there's not just two things. There's several things I can do. The first thing I can do is shut up. Okay. And listen, the second thing I can do is uh, use my skills to try to entertain and then try my hardest to make sure that it is going to a charity that is on the up and up, okay? Mm -hmm. And I think that where um, you have to go back and look at Bob Geldof's intentions, uh, you know, and, and I think that the intentions were good. Now, when the intentions... Uh, clash with rock star ego um, that's where things get messy but I think that it does begin with a good intention I also do believe that Bob Geldof um, like I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of Bob Geldof I'll just say that (laughs) <laughs> well, hopefully not- he likes your impression you did. and won't no, yeah. oh, He'll never hear this. He'll <laughs> never hear this. He, I, I, I actually, I am a, uh, a bizarrely huge Bob Geldof fan. Uh, I love the Boomtown Rats. I, I have a, a Boomtown Rats question that, Lindsay, perhaps maybe you can uh, answer, or John, maybe you, you can answer this, but, but this has confounded me for quite some time. The, the Boomtown Rats Elephant's Graveyard. Mm-hmm. Sounds so much like an Elvis Costello song, yeah. and and it, it, it's but it's not. It's a Boomtown Rat song. Now, is that Bob Geldof being inspired by Elvis Costello? Is it a rivalry with that? And I was trying to look up like what is the relationship between Elvis and Bob? And 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 I and I'm just this is one area where I plead total ignorance. But that Elephant's Graveyard, that's like, man, that sounds like an Elvis Costello and the Attraction song. Are they making fun of Elvis Costello and the Attractions? Or are they honoring them? Or is it just, this is what music sounded like that year? 
That's a really good question because, the, of course, the most obvious thing about the two of them is that that organ, that farfaso, whatever. Yes, it is. that's the yeah. organ. Yeah. And you're kind of like, what? And and uh, the lyrics aren't aren't anything to do with any kind of rivalry that I can get. No, no, no. Yeah, it's just mu- it's musically, right? Musically uh, influences. You know, uh, Bob gets a pass for me not only for the music and, and Band-Aid and Live Aid, but for his uh, stunning turn on SCTV. Uh, as oh my God, the best teacher's pet. Yes. Don't forget uh, the Wall, Pink Floyd, the Wall. He was amazing. Yeah, okay, fine. I, can I tell you, I had a friend. Okay, who got to be 35 years old and had never seen Pink Floyd the Wall, and uh, and I and, and and said, hey, they're playing Pink Floyd the Wall at midnight at a movie theater. I've managed to get to be 35, and I've never seen it. And I said, well, we're going. And uh, so we sat down, we watched Pink Floyd the Wall, packed midnight theater um and uh it's california weed is legal i don't smoke this stuff my friend doesn't smoke this stuff but it was it was in the air and it was like watching it as it was intended in the 80s and and i and i gotta tell you that movie holds up man the first time i tried to watch uh pink floyd the wall and and this is coming from a guy who was watching john waters pink flamingos when he was like six okay (laughs) it all makes sense now for some reason uh, I popped in the VHS of the wall and within the first three minutes, it was too scary and I could not return to it. Like something about, um, no, the meat grinder scene freaked me the hell out. I had was, nightmares about it. It was way before that. It was, it was the stampede, the war footage mixed with yeah. the stampede of the concert. It it's just not a was, happy movie. It's no, no, it is no grease too, no, no which I, um, have, um, just looking over to my left. I think I have Uh-oh. four four different pressings of Grease oh, 2. Oh my, okay, we're going too off topic, but yeah. I should have had yeah. you on the mu- the movies one where all I did was talk about Grease 2 for like we 20 minutes. Listen, every time I bring up Grease 2, it, bec- oh my God. it becomes hell on Twitter for like a day with it, and uh, with with people wanting to discuss it. It's a, That's a whole other hell, podcast. You, I, you mis- I think you meant really. to say heaven, but okay. No, it, it, no it, it, it's, it starts as heaven and then it turns into hell because then it's just like people saying the same thing over it's and over again. It's the superior Grease. But anyway, let's we got to get back on topic. So obviously, okay, whether it was well-intentioned, which I think we all agree it was, whether it's aged well or not is up for debate. Band-Aid, Do They Know It's Christmas, started the charity explosion of the mid to late 80s. So then America got involved. They were like, okay, Brits, we're going to do you one better. It was a more mm. successful song. It was a bigger selling song. It had, it was co-written by Michael Jackson and Lana Ritchie. It won the Record of the Year Grammy, in my opinion, it is not the better song, but it definitely, in terms, of, in terms of people, you know, you were making the jokes a minute ago, John, about Paul Young. In terms of people that were on We Are the World by USA for Africa, there's more names on it that hold up now as being still considered A-list names, such as Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd, man. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd. Okay, Dan Aykroyd was there, yes. And he brought, like, he, Ghostbusters he was, you know, rad. Oh, my God. It was massive at the time. Yeah. No, for Dan, Dan and, and Dan Aykroyd has such a, a great musical background it's just a funny one here are some <laughs> of the big names though 
that to this day still are they are not people like whatever happened to no, 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 no. you know stevie wonder paul simon tina turner uh michael jackson who i mentioned billy joel diana ross Dionne warwick willie nelson bruce springsteen of course daryl hall steve perry huey lewis cindy lopper bob dylan with the meme that we still enjoy today the confused bob dylan meme he was confused uh lindsey buckingham ray charles lindsey buckingham uh, go insane era Lindsey Buckingham I want the best era of Lindsey Buckingham in my opinion when he went new wave which is another podcast that you can listen to on totally oh my goodness and of course Quincy Jones you know produced it and oversaw this so like this was like kind of the U.S. Trumping uh no pun intended Trumping I hate that word now but the U.S. Trumping the U.K. being like okay why do you hate hate that word why oh no reason no reason But anyway, I, let's stick with. I think, he, I think he's a. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think that guy's a riot. I'm okay. kidding, of course. What if I? What Thank if you. I came out and I was like, uh, and I was like, <laughs> you find out Jake Fogelman's a Trump supporter. That's straight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, we are the world was massive. It was every massive star, uh, and and now we can look back at legends. Um, and I think what was important to remember is that they checked their egos at the door. They had a sign that actually said that. Someone did not check his ego at the door and therefore was not part of We Are the World. Jake, you want to take this one? No, you tell us, John, because it's more fun. Mr. Prince. Yeah. uh, But. uh, What's the full story there? What's the full story there? What is the story? Yeah, what is the story? I know that he showed up with his big bodyguard chick, right? Here's the story. He was Prince. That's it. He was like. Yeah. I don't I don't need to do this. Right. I don't need to do this. I'm Prince. I'm going back to, to Minnesota. You all have fun. <laughs> that to me is is the bet is one of the best things about Prince is that Prince's ability to say, No, I'm Prince. You <laughs> now, guys all have fun. I'm not doing this. If there are two other people in the world that will remember this, it's gonna be you two. With a week or two weeks after that, Saturday Night Live does a uh, cold open with Billy Crystal as Prince in blackface, kind of unfortunate. Oh, and no. they do a song called, with him singing as Prince, I Am Also the World. <laughs> I do crazy. not remember this. Is this well, on YouTube or did Prince of the State have that scrub? No, that, that is, that is uh, uh, first of all, here's an interesting thing about Saturday Night Live. They've been editing the show mm-hmm. since it's aired. So uh, th- that is not scrubbed. Uh, that is scrubbed. Uh, you're not going to be able to find that. I get it for you, but uh, yeah, you know. But um, y- you think that's bad, um, and and this is not scrubbed because it's on their DVD set. Um, uh, in a Don Kirshner, Paul Schaefer as Don Kirshner introducing the village persons, singing a song called "Bend Over Chuck Berry." Look, what? Yeah, no. Hey, hey, this is the thing about uh, Saturday Night Live. Uh, Wait, does that exist? Can I oh, see that? Yeah, oh, yeah, I can. Oh, yeah, I'll text it to you. No, Please I, do. I, I've been waiting. I've been waiting. The, 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 oh that, my that god! Exists. Yeah, bend oh, over. I remember sitting in the uh, uh, up on seventeen at SNL at some point in the uh, uh, early two thousands uh, with a three quarter inch tape machine. Um, I don't think they allow you to do this anymore, like pulling old SNLs. And we, and me and Horatio Sands popped in 
bend over Chuck Berry and we were just in disbelief. <laughs> we were just like, whoa. I'm in disbelief just even yeah. knowing such a thing exists. Well, since we're talking about Saturday Night Live, before we start talking about all the other kind of, you know, offshoots, and of course we have to talk about Live Aid, of, you yeah. know, where the forces of Band-Aid and- Really? Which, Crystal in blackface? What? Yeah, <laughs> Not for the I first don't know time. about that. Not for the first that, time. All <laughs> of these comedy shows, all of these comedy shows have, and we mentioned the amazing pulp parody, which was bad cover version where they had people who were doing celebrity impersonation like singing and actually they had a Jarvis Cocker impersonation but there have been so many oh, amazing so parodies there's been in Living Color did Career Aid where it has mm-hmm. like has been pop stars singing for their own selves mm-hmm. RuPaul's Drag Race did a one called Can I Get an Amen Can I Get an Amen <laughs> is great and that actually went to charity the, you could download it for the uh, LA Gay and Lesbian Center yeah. um, Sound Live did one because like all these songs just like how Bandit got redone a bunch of times they did a in they did a we are the world two in i think about 10 years ago that was or maybe five years yeah. ago i had like yeah. justin bieber and people in it was and then sound out live that year did a skit. <laughs> sound out live that year did a skit called we are the world three raising awareness for the we are the world two disaster yeah. and so yeah. i had all the people like basically going like we're sorry we did that what, what is better the, the second we are the world or we or will i am's uh remake of the entertainment tonight theme uh, i'm not familiar with that oh you must you simply must entertainment tonight said oh we need to spice up our theme song so they went to will i am Uh, have have you guys seen there's two others i want you to tell me what your favorite parody is there was also the simpsons we're sending our love down the well a classic (laughs) kidney now from 30 Rock, where they actually had Elvis Costello and also the Beastie Boys and yes. Cindy Lauper again. She's like actually, rep- you know, all, so many people all singing for Kidney now. And then we also have to remember when the Ramones did their video for Something to Believe in, that was sort of like a parody of that with like x and people like that. And also yeah. like, it was actually more of a parody of Hands Across America. I remember at that time, like the Ramones had like these t-shirts that said Hands Across Your Face. I had one at the time and I'm really sad that I missed it. But I don't know if you guys are seeing that I'm wearing my Live 8 t-shirt from oh. when. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Did you when wear? they had a concert in Hyde Park in 2005. No, no. To celebrate, it was, it was to celebrate the 20th. It would have been mm-hmm. to celebrate the 20th anniversary yeah. of Live 8. So, yeah, 2005 sounds right. You're missing uh, my favorite parodies, though, from SNL from the 90s when the cast was like, I think, 35 people. And they mm-hmm. did one to support yes. free range chickens. And it's infamous because Chris Farley is Carney Wilson. And um, yeah, it's brutal. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. Here's, oh. the, here's the thing about Center Live. It, it, it's it's always uh, batted about 30%. You go back, watch the shows from the 70s. I know it's, you know, it, it, and yeah. when they get it right, they get it right, but they, they get, get it right. wrong a lot. As far as parodies go, though, I really do think I really like the Ramon Something to Believe in because that oh, one had African Bombarded, and I had the Circle Jerks, I had X, B-52, Sparks, Weird Al, Penn & Teller, The Untouchables were in it. So I don't know if you guys have a favorite parody, but I think that is a good way to springboard into the fact that the reason why there were this became like something to parodies became like a, a a conceit, you know, like self-important celebrities linking arms and singing earnestly over earnestly when maybe they had um, so ulterior motives is because after we are the world and and do they know it's Christmas. 
the floodgates open. Like everybody was doing a uh, not a parody. Absolutely. It might have seemed like a parody. They were parodying themselves, but everybody started doing charity songs. The charity single bandwagon, yeah. And 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 Joey Ramone, of course, uh, performed on. Uh, one of my favorite uh, sort. I, I, it was to raise. It was to more raise awareness. But but Sun City, which was oh, put together by you know Stephen Van Zant and you know sort of sort of the if we are the world was like the biggest stars in the world. Sun City was like who can Stephen little Stephen get on the phone uh, to get this message out about uh, uh, bands that were playing uh, uh, Sun City uh, against apartheid, you know, and, and it's sad, you know, like huge bands like Queen, they played, uh, you know, at the casinos or whatever in Sun City, they get paid a lot of money. It was, you know, uh, but meanwhile, I, I, look, I, I'm not afraid to go on the record and say apartheid was bad. What blowback I get on Twitter? Apartheid <laughs> was bad. Correct. Okay. All right. You've convinced me. Yeah. Good. 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 I, I I I don't mean to twist your arm there, but apartheid. But Sun City. That that was uh, you know Joe Ramone. I think African Babadas and yeah. That I have as the, well. I have the list to say when you talk yeah. about some of the hips people. Here are some of the people that were on it. This is, I'm not going to read all of them because there's too many. But Lou Reed, Grandmaster yeah, Melly Mel, uh, yeah. Michael Monroe from Hanoi Rock, Stiv Bader's, Peter Garrett from Midnight Oil, Gil Scott Heron, Nona Hendrix, um, George Clinton, Peter Wolf, Bobby Womack, Peter Gabriel. It was it was Curtis Blow, the Fat Boys, African Bombada. Keith Richards, Ronnie Wood, Bonnie Raitt, Hollandos. This is a pretty hip hip lineup here. Probably the hippest. I would say, and also, uh, you know, a, a, a chance. There were, I think, there's so many of us out there that were waiting, dying. When would Lou Reed and Bobby Womack get together on a project? Finally, and finally, finally it happened with uh, with with Sun City. I, I do have say- to say though, when we're talking, sorry, John, just real quick. I, yeah. you know, in all seriousness, you know, joking, you know. By the way, apartheid is bad. When this song came out, it was my first knowledge of what apartheid oh, was. They weren't absolutely. teaching it in school. No, it wasn't no. on the news channels I was watching as a little kid. And so in terms of what this song set out to do, I don't know what charitable endeavor it was partnered with off the top of my head. But it if was, it was to create awareness, it worked. Yeah. I knew what apartheid was because of this song. It was incredibly effective. It got a ton of play on MTV um, uh, when MTV did not have to play that song. And, uh, you know, Little Steven uh, did a really, really good thing with that with that uh, r- record. And, you know, it's it's really funny when I think about, like, the Ramones and, and Joe Ramone and just, like, the, the, the politics of being in that band where, you know, Johnny obviously not so politically aligned uh as joey and and johnny would get angry when uh you know joey would 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 speak out and do stuff like that i mean joey would get angry at johnny or johnny would get angry at joey Johnny would get angry well joey was angry at johnny for a a number of reasons but johnny would get particularly angry uh with joey's liberal causes and and uh you know that's just you know some, some some fun from fun Ramones history, which is uh, always important uh, uh, to throw in. <laughs> well, I, you know, after all this seriousness about Sun City and Artists Against Apartheid, I was going to make a really snarky comment about how that was the birth of pretentious Bono. 
in that video when he's like, ah, wait, yes. When is this when the sunglasses? Yeah. It's all yeah. Stephen Van Zandt's fault. It's all what? apartheid's fault. It's apartheid's fault. He probably saw the bandana. He's just, and he was like, ah, the bandana is pretty cool. I need a signature thing myself. <laughs> I gotta one up this guy. I gotta one up a uh, little Stephen. <laughs> so live aid. Have we talked about wait, live? Wait, before we talk about live aid, because I think that's the positive way to end it. There's one more with the it's word aid in it. We have to talk about. Oh. So all the songs that we've talked about were were reasonable hits or MTV hits or even huge Grammy winning hits. But let's talk about hearing aid because yeah. this is one lost to the you know the ether of time, which is weird because I before I brushed up on this. This is the heavy metal band aid basically, and I brushed up on it by watching the YouTube video. I forgot that would this like had the most. Little, would you like me to show a little bit first before we get into it? I, yeah, let's do I, it. I actually right. don't remember this. All right, everybody. It had A list metal here. people. I really forgot how A list metal this is. Was. Why, it's weird, why it's not it's weird that people right. don't remember this. Right. Let me make sure. Let's. Let's, let's let's brace ourselves. Let's see if I can do this right. You ready? Yeah, there it is. This is Ronnie James Dio. Yeah, that's not a small ask. That's not a bad get. Yeah. Uh oh. Now we're going. Let's, let's talk about Bob dressed for the fault line in July. Motley Crue are there? Did it take them like like six months to get everybody together at the same? Even like how many canceled sessions were let me there? Just read some of the names because yeah, like I said, it really. I'm not going to read you all the names, but just the biggest names because I was genuinely surprised mm-hmm. that I don't really remember this song. Don Dawkin, Kevin Dubrow from Quiet Riot, Rob Halford, who we just saw, Jeff Tate from Queensrÿche, uh, Rodney James Dio, we just mentioned, Carmine Apice, Frankie Benali from uh, Quiet Riot, Vivian Campbell, who was in Dio at the time and later in Def Leppard, um, members of Wasp, members of Motley Crue, Mick Mars was there, Ingve Malmsteen, Ted Nugent was there, um, Vince Neil was there, Neil Sean was there, Harry Shear in character as Derek Smalls, uh, and oh, other amazing. members of members of uh, also Michael McKeon, David St. Hubbins was there, members of Twisted Sister, members of Rough Cut, members of Blue Oyster Cult, members of uh, uh, Ozzy, Ozzy Osbourne's band, Y and T. This was like, you know, at the time, like really credible metal people, not hair metal people. Whatever. No, no, no. That's real. That's real metal. Yeah. Who, what was the cause? I believe it was the same cause for it was for Africa. Uh, and, you know, they just wanted to get in on it. It was like, you know, a genre specific because USA for Africa was like pop so pop. stars. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Band-Aid was, you know, new waves, mostly new wave stars. So they wanted their metal one. And I remember it being in the news as this was coming out. And, you know, it seemed like it would have been a big deal. But, I I mean, you saw the video just now. It looked super low quality. It looked like it was filmed on someone's, you know, uh, beta cam. And it, I don't remember MTV oh, yeah. once playing this. Uh, no, no. I, I, I can I can tell you right now, though, there, there was a line item for that budget that it, it, it went somewhere else. It went to something else. <laughs> I, I think you guys can figure out what that, uh, what it was. Piles of cocaine that I mentioned before. Yeah, that would be the line. You can't write that down. It's, I, I will just say um, uh, 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 professional services. 
Yeah, I will say this has kind of lived on because Wendy Dio still does a lot of charitable stuff in mm-hmm. her, her husband's name. And, and this was the start of it, was that foundation. Hearing aid, yeah. Hearing aid. So, you know, good on her. Good you on know, her. Good I, was on never, her. I was not a metalhead at the time in the 80s. I really, uh, when I, as I've gotten older, um, I, I've started to uh, really appreciate uh, some of the metal first. But, like, I mean, look, I'm pretty punk and I, and, and like kind of a total new waiver so like that's just my deal um Did so <laughs> this, this is this is this is really like a, a, a part of uh 80s pop culture history that i did not know about so i, well, I thank be- you before we talk about something that everyone knows about which is live aid which i think is the perfect capper of this because it was when everybody from all of these things came together for what at the time now we sort of take for granted that there are all these big events that happen you know there's one happening the weekend we taped this for pandemic relief but back then it was kind of a big deal to get all these stars together. But before we do that, do any of you have a recollection of something I, that was parodied in the Ramones video, Hands Across America? Because I went to Hands Across America. You, you participated. My we, hand was across the valley. We my got family and sister. We went. We got T-shirts. We got T-shirts. I know. I, I specific, and I remember the single. Who sang on that? Because that I just I, remember as like being like. There, I, I don't think there was a single. It was just the thing where everybody was told to go to certain markers. In but there was you know, a, there was the song. There was hands across yes. America. It like, was, it was, I think you're making that up. Really? No, no, oh, no, 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 no. Full on. Carpenters are kind of thing. You know, there were two spots. I grew up in Ohio and there were two spots to meet for this uh, Youngstown, Ohio, and mm-hmm. And every spot had a celebrity. Do you know who the celebrity was at Youngstown's meetup? Who? Michael friggin' Jackson. Yeah, what? no, it was a big deal. Hands Across in America. Youngstown. Was, I, I, I don't, yeah. I remember it. I remember there was a t-shirt. There was a charity single. Uh, we didn't go because like, I don't know. I don't know. It just wasn't like I was going with my mom, like a whole hands with strangers. Like, let's just put it this way. This pandemic has not drastically changed my lifestyle all that much. Uh, it's just, I'm not a go outside and hold hands with John, people. John, I want to tell you, I just looked up to see who else was in. I looked up on Wikipedia to see who else was on there. You kind of got screwed because Michael Jackson's cool. But if you had been yeah. in, um, if you had been in another city, hold on. I was just looking. If you were in Baltimore, you would have been joined by Emmanuel Lewis and R2-D2. Oh, my God. If you'd been in Cincinnati, you would have been joined by Chewbacca, which I think would have been great. How great it would have been if Baltimore asked John Waters. If you'd been in Little Rock, Arkansas, you would have been joined by then-Governor Bill Clinton. If you you were in Albuquerque, you would have been joined by uh, Sonny Crockett himself, John Johnson. Oh, my God. If you had been in San Bernardino, you would have been joined by Bob Seger and Charlene Tilton. <laughs> if you had been in Santa Monica, you would have been joined by George Burns, Dudley Moore, Richard Dreyfus, and Donna Mills. So that oh. was the place to be. I was in Encino in the Valley, and I don't remember there being anyone there. I just remember my parents dragging me there because they thought we should be part of history. And we stood in the middle of Ventura Boulevard, and I was like, can we go now? This is lame. My hand is sweaty. Why are we here? How long do we have to hold hands? Can I go? It was right in front of the Big Ben record store. On how, the how, like, long is it, how long a drive is it from Studio City to Encino? Like, oh, like 15, <laughs> 10 minutes. Okay. They're, they couldn't have found a, a, a celebrity 
to drive 15 minutes and to, to, to Encino? Well, Michael Jackson no, lived in Encino at the time. So what was he doing? What was he doing in Youngstown? You know I'm what? actually looking this up. Hands across. Sorry, this is exciting. No, it's, 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 it's not only it's exciting; it's important. You guys vamp for a second because I'm going to pull out my brochure from Hands Across America. You have, you have a brochure. Okay. Okay, so we didn't. Oh wait, I found from the archives, Hands Across America, L.A. Times. Maybe they will say who was at Encino. I just remember, you know, I was kind. I don't have a free subscription. I don't have a subscription to L.A. Times. I can't read that. So I just remember thinking it was kind of. My parents thought it was going to be a thing where I guess they were right because we're talking about now. My parents thought it was going to be one of those things where we would, many years later, be like, we were there. Right. We were on Ventura Boulevard. Oh my God. On Sunday, May 25th, 1986, six million Americans will join hands from Los Angeles to New York. What was the, does it say in the flyer, John, what the, like, did this raise money or was this just to like, uh, well, they definitely a, they sold T-shirts, so I'm imagining that T-shirt money went some to something. You had, had some merch here. You had a little thing that you filled out and said, "Hey, yo, I'm going to be there." Wasn't it for Wasn't it for homelessness? I feel like it was for hunger. Like, like well, here, Ken Ken Cragen, who was Lionel Richie's manager at the time and was instrumental in in co-organizing "We Are the World," was the organizer of this. So we'll never know. But I guess it created okay. awareness because we're talking about it like the created created an awareness and also created a tax shelter. Bill Cosby, Kenny Rogers, Pete Rose. What is Bill Cosby up to lately? (laughs) He's 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 sheltering in place. He's staying up. He's staying at home. Well, let's wrap up. Americans to help Americans. That's all it says. I don't remember. To help Americans. That's it. To take a stand to fight okay. hunger and homelessness here hunger in and homelessness. Yeah, got right. it. Well, I did my part. I stood in the middle of a hot Encino day with my parents complaining like a surly child. So I did and my it part. Is a project of USA for Africa. According got to it. Got well, it. now let's talk about the ultimate, the, the piece de resistance, the ultimate statement of all of this. Everything we had, all these other, you know, charitable endeavors, some songs that either did well or didn't, but everybody came together on one glorious day. We're almost up on the 35th anniversary of it in July 1985 for Live Aid. It was a multi-country thing, mostly in Philadelphia and London. Of course, we all remember that Phil Collins did both because of that wonderful Concord that existed in the excessive 80s um, that helped Boy George out during Band-Aid. So I remember, like some people remember, depending on their age, when they saw, you know, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan or someone walk, you know, the moon walking or any other kind of major good or bad thing that happened on TV. And I will never forget watching this. This was something where the world stopped for me. I was on vacation at the time. I was on a holiday vacation. It was summertime. My parents, we were in our hotel room. My parents said, let's go to the beach. I said, nope. Staying in, ordering room service, they're like, you're crazy. Why do you want to stay in and watch TV? I said, Live Aid's on. I'm not, this is, this was the thing I remember. I don't remember Hands Across America so much. This is what I remember. Of course, we all remember it mostly, if for nothing else, for Queen, because that was considered to be one of the greatest uh, performances of all time. And it was just beautifully recreated in an otherwise problematic film that I didn't like, uh, the, the Queen film, but we don't need to talk about that. But there were so no, we many. Do. Other- we do need to talk about it because right. uh, because it's um, I, I uh, it, 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 Bohemian Rhapsody. I've come to find a new appreciation for because okay. because it is it is such a giant mistake. Uh, 
It is, is and the first time I watched it, I was like, all right. But then I watched it again and I said, I'm glad this exists as a historical document. And weird, like anything that might have worked in Bohemian Rhapsody must, the credit must go to Dexter Fletcher, who did Rocket Man, which is fantastic. I love Rocket Man. Rocket Man is fantastic. And, and, and but, but here's what I remember about Live Aid I was in Philadelphia. I was with my mother. My mother went out and bought six of the highest quality VHS tapes that you could buy. And she said, we need to record this because this is important. Yes. Yeah. I I had, I had good parents. I had good parents. They just uh, had to deal with me, but she went out and we, uh, we were prepared and we watched live aid as it, as it unfolded. And we were in Philly and, uh, stayed up, watched the whole thing. And, uh, it, 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 you know, it was unbelievable. Uh, and, uh, one of the major highlights was the debut of Mick Jagger and David Bowie's, uh, dancing in the street video. Um, uh, that debuted during the, the that debuted during uh, during Live Aid and was also released to movie theaters uh, to uh, let people know Live Aid was uh, uh, still something you could contribute money to. Um, okay. And so there's 35 millimeter prints of that that are probably not necessary to have a 35 millimeter print of that video. But if you want to go, well, I don't know if we'll have movie theaters again, but if it, yeah. say you're going to see Labyrinth, wouldn't you like to see okay. the Dancing in the Street video? It, okay. It, 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 you know, it's uh, it, it's that. Yeah, that premiered during Live Aid. And that was just just that's a blip on the radar of the important things that happened. Yeah, I Live forgot Aid. about that. Um, yeah. For me, of course, we don't I don't know how much we even really need to talk about Queen because we all know that we all saw it recreated. So in the like I said, in Bohemian Rhapsody, the one thing I liked about that movie was how they recreated that really well. Yeah. It, you know, it kind of is it's held up as one of the greatest or maybe the greatest concert of all time. But there were other moments that we remember maybe because they weren't so great. And there are moments we for, might forget. Like, I think a lot of people forget that Madonna sang with the Thompson twins there. That's not going to ever happen again. And that was one of my favorite moments because I was a fan of both bands. But there were some fails. Like, I think a lot of people, probably older fans, especially going to watch that or going to attend it, thought like the Led Zeppelin kind of semi-reunion was going to be a high point. That was Let's unfortunate. That was unfortunate, yeah. I'm going to, def- okay. I'm going to defend them a little bit. Okay. Um, uh, let, you know, first of all, let's, let's check out a clip. Okay. Uh, and, yeah. and then we'll see if uh, I'm like defending something for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should have watched it first. and edited right. it. Exactly. All right. I think, yeah, yeah, I think right there, just a very brief clip, but it's just nobody's in top form. Um, Again, everybody's heart was in the right place, but uh, Led Zeppelin did, you know, redeem themselves, I think, in the end with, you know, Celebration Day. Do we we have the Madonna and Thompson twins clip just for my own personal enjoyment? That's all right. I don't have it, but but on Zeppelin, you know, I will give them credit for something that that they uh, were innovators in with that is they have successfully scrubbed that from pretty much everything officially released yeah. to the point yeah. where you can it's even not it's not on like your official live aid 
Blu-ray or whatever right. and stuff. Well, it, it's uh, it, it, and and then they, but I will say, didn't they blame kind of Phil Collins? Like he took a lot of heat for that. Yeah. And, it, you don't blame Phil Collins. He was doing if you if you blame Phil Collins, it was because he was jet lagged from having to fly from Philly to London in the same well, day. Or speaking of that, which uh, was a stunt. Jake had brought something up, which we'll play right now. Yep. Phil. That's it. You can see him make a face. He's like, I have flown. I'm flying the Concorde. This is a big deal. And I just hit the bum note in front of the entire world. But But then Simon LeBond said, wait, hold my beer. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I think it's no secret that I'm a big Durani. One of the more recent podcasts we've done for Trolley 80s was completely all about Duran Duran, where I believe we discussed this moment. But it was a big deal when Duran Duran were at Philadelphia. A couple of the members of Duran Duran were doing double duty they were also playing with power station which if you know michael debar i was gonna was say actually, i think it was in- actually his first performance ever with yeah. power station robert palmer had recently decided no longer he didn't want to tour with them and they had live aid coming up it was obviously going to be a huge appearance for for power station and they recruited michael debar and his first time ever singing for them was at live and he did a very good job but obviously there were already Sorry, fishers Looking, no I think I have some Michael DeBar's records like right awesome. by my, right wow. by my <laughs> left side. So, uh, but there were <laughs> there were fissures going on within the Duran Duran camp already. I really wish Arcadia had played as well. Oh, very nice, Michael DeBar. Uh, this is the one that, that I'm only human. Okay, well, let me finish my Duran Duran thought because I go on tangents here, and I want to make sure it's very important for me to talk about how important this moment was in not a good way. Like, you know, it kind of spelled the end of the Fab Five. So I'm a big Duran Duran fan. I was excited that Power, you know, some people were upset that Power Station and Arcadia had happened because, you know, you had to pick a side. I liked Arcadia better, but, you know, I like both. Um, or, you know, they saw it as maybe a side the end that Power Station and Arcadia meant that Duran Duran were going to break up. So I saw it as getting a double dose of Duran Duran because I always assumed the Fab Five would come back together and I did not realize it wouldn't happen until 2003. So Power Station performed with Michael DeBar and it, you know, from what I recall, it went, it went well, especially considering the circumstances that it was Michael DeBar's first time in front of a live audience and he'd only been in the band for like maybe two weeks. But Duran Duran also performed and it was the Fab Five. It was, you know, all, all, all three of the Taylors, Nick Rhodes and Simon LeBond. So they were flying high. They had a uh, view to kill out, which fun fact is still the only Bond song to go to number one. And just as I will die on the hill, the band-aids, do they know it's Christmas is the best holiday song ever? Let's we all agree that View to Kill is the best Bond song, right? Okay, thanks it's for a being strong, here. strong Bond song. Right. I will agree with uh, that it is a strong awesome. Bond song. So Duran Duran performed it at Live Aid and they had a bit of their own fail. And I had let yep. <laughs> Let's see it. <laughs> and watch Andy. That's what I'm saying. God bless the camera person that caught knew to cut to Andy at the right moment. <laughs> and 
Andy is like, fuck this. Pardon my French. He just has this look like I am quitting this band tomorrow. And he, I guess he did because that was the last time that all five members of Duran Duran performed together until 2003 when they reunited at the Roxy and I was there. But Andy was already, you know, he had his eye on the door already. And when that terrible note hit, he just had a look on his face like FML. And um, again, give a raise, give a bonus to whichever camera person had, whether it was, you know, thought to cut immediately to get that reaction shot of Andy Taylor. But that was, you know, the end of Duran Duran as we knew it for a while. And then, you know, Power Station and Arcadia were just one offs or, or in the case of Power Station, a two off. So that was an iconic moment for all the wrong reasons. But, you know, it was a live broadcast, you know, anything could happen. Another misstep I have to point out uh, at Live Aid was Adam Ant choosing to do his current single, Viva Wait, can I can I tell that story? You can. There's a whole story behind it. So I interviewed um, five years ago for Yahoo. I did an oral history piece on when the th- uh, 30th anniversary of Live Aid happened. And I interviewed Adam Ant. Now, the story he told me, so, you know, I didn't fact check this. But this is a story he told me. This is how he remembers it. Is he, you know, this was 85, right? So Adam Ant was not quite as big as he had been, you know, a few years earlier in England. But he was one of the earliest people to sign on to do Live Aid, even though he wasn't part of Band Aid or any of these other songs. But then when everybody else started jumping on board, he got a call from the organizers of Live Aid saying, we're knocking you off the bill because, you know, all, you know, Led Zeppelin people want to do it. So at the time, Adam Ant was, I believe, managed by Stuart, uh, Stuart Copeland, by uh, Ian Copeland or Miles Copeland, one of the Copeland, Miles. Okay. So Miles basically said, if you, uh, the police played Live Aid, right? I believe. Well, basically, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure they did. Uh, I'll double check. I think they played the Us Festival. I'm not sure. Question. Look that up, John. Basically, Miles. This is a story that John, that Adam Ant told me. That basically, Miles said, if you don't let Adam stay on the bill, you're not getting, you know, insert name a bigger client here. It might not have been the police. I can't know the police because that would have been a post synchronicity. It was '84, and I think the police were Dunzo. Maybe so. Maybe uh, Sting. You know, I think uh, it would have been more likely, but I don't. I, yeah, the well, uh, the important I'm trying, thing I'm is, looking at my article right now because Adam had some holes in his logic, so um, I have to go by what he's telling me. He said that oh, it was Sting. That's what he said. He yeah, said I'm really, going to read the quote. This is this explains some stuff. Okay, so Adam said this to me. I did Viva La Rock because I thought it was in the spirit of the day, but in retrospect, it wasn't a very pleasant experience for me because people would come up to me endlessly for 30 years saying, why didn't you do stand and deliver? (laughs) Initially I was asked to do four songs, but then I think what happened is big bands started to show interest like queen and Bowie. And late in the day through Harvey Goldsmith, the promoter, I was told, quote, you're off the show. You're not doing it. Fortunately, I was managed by miles Copeland who managed sting who said, if you don't put Adam on, you're not having sting. So he got one song, hit the deal that was made was okay you can stay on the bill so that's the fact it was sting that they used as the bargaining chip Hmm. adam stayed on the bill but he only got to do one song and he opened the show and as he said you know a lot of people and as you said uh feel he shouldn't have done his most recent i guess i understand i guess in retrospect he's like i'm gonna do my most recent single if i only get one song because you know obviously if he'd had the four he probably would have done stand deliver but here's the thing i gotta say i gotta tell this story because it's hilarious obviously adam's bitter about it and i don't blame him if he was going to get booted off the bill like that and he actually even told me he was on like the printed early materials yeah out to press so 
this is what happened. This is funny, though. It's a really funny story. So he, when he was telling me this story, started to complain to me that he thought it was messed up, that he only got one song, but that you two, and I'm putting air quotes when I say this, that you two went over time. And as a result, they threw off the, this is what Adam's saying. They threw off the whole schedule. So this is how Adam remembers it. Adam remembers that when Bono very famously went out into the crowd with his mic and kind of got lost out there for a while and, you know, went off script and went into the crowd and kind of, you know, took him a while to get back to the stage. He remembers you two going over time and that therefore ruining the schedule for the rest of the day. And by the way, Adam kept calling him Bono when he said this. When Bono. So he said that when Bono went in the crowd, he didn't think that was fair that you two were allowed to go over time when he had a short set. And I was like, that doesn't sound kind of right. And if you look, that's not what happened. Yes, you two were going on too long because of that stunt. As a result, their set got cut short. You two have done interviews on camera where they have said they thought they messed up because they didn't get to do their biggest song at the time because of the fact that their final song got cut because of Bono's antics. But they kept it on a schedule. So Adam, I let him talk on the phone with me for like 20 minutes where he bitched and moaned about how it wasn't fair that you two ruined everybody's set for the rest of the day. And I just nodded politely and then did some fact checking and Adam answer on it's the end of my story, but he's bitter and I don't blame him. How, how, how much truth is there to the story about Bob Geldof, you know, sort of in the early days of uh, announcing live aid saying like bands like queen are going to be there, like, you know, just basically announcing things to get people to sign up and then you know managers calling and being like what is this like how, how much truth is there to that because i watched I, a, you- I watched a long documentary bbc documentary about uh live aid that bob geldoff participated in and stuff but so you know i'm just so so curious as to you know it's a pretty massive event they put together and uh and uh i, I i'm curious like the pecking order of uh, uh of the booking um i don't really care so much about the charity as much as the business uh, aspect of uh of things um, i actually uh, don't know if that's true but if he did that it's kind of genius, genius because yeah. if he said oh queen or whoever is going to be there and then queen don't they're like yeah. oh you guys are assholes again you're not, you don't want to do something for charity you jerks not would would not want to be on the wrong side of Bob Geldof. Okay. That's all I'm saying. And you know, who knows, who knows what happened on that phone call with Michael Hutchins. Bob Geldof's uh, very powerful with words. That's all I'm saying. Don't go there. There's an article here in Rolling Stone where just to confirm what I said, where they interviewed you two, where they said that because uh, Bono ventured into the crown that hung them out to dry, leaving them without the chance to play Pride in the Name of Love, which was supposed to be their final song. And the band members thought they blew it. They thought they blew a chance to play their biggest hit. They were mad at Bono, but of course, and Bono actually thought he'd screwed up. He was upset. Of course, they found out quite the opposite. It ended up being a career making performance for them. So Adam Ant, if you're listening, which I'm sure you're not, you're wrong. You got it wrong. But he, I do think Adam should have been allowed to play more than one song. I don't think that's cool. And Bob Geldof, if you're listening, I'm on your level, buddy. I know I, I know what powers you have. I have the same powers. You and I, we should get together. We got we we have I'm I get you. And you I think you'd get me. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Let's get him on the podcast. Hey, I, I could talk a half hour about Banana Republic alone. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let's wrap it up by saying, you know, I, I sort of start started at the top of this saying 
how many, how as well intentioned as some of these things may have been, perhaps they didn't age well or didn't have the direct practical effect that was hoped. The money didn't get into the right hands or certain things dated. What do you think the legacy is of this era of charity in the 80s? What good did it do? Or did it do any good? Or is it just so I look back now as like a bunch of bandwagon hopping? Well, I think there, I think that there was uh, a lot of good done in the sense of raising awareness and raising some money. Um, there is bad done. Uh, if we look back, I mean, you can look back at the tremendous amount of white privilege that is involved with most of these, uh, uh, you know, charity events. And I think that we should look to the past and these events as we are going into hard times and learn from the uh, mistakes of them. Um, um, but also learn from the successes of them. Um, it, it, we're in a weird time in our world right now. Um, we also got a lot of classic, truly classic, wonderful uh, uh, performances and some truly classic, one, wonderfully awful moments that will live on forever to the embarrassment of certain people, but to the enjoyment of uh, an audience that really forgives those people. Like if I ever was to come up to Phil Collins, uh, the first thing I would mention to him would not be, hey, remember the time you hit that bum note at Live Aid? It would be like, hey, man, what were you thinking with the Land of Confusion video? Like the world oh needed God, more yeah. of those spitting image puppets in yeah, our face? Actually, the answer to that was yes. That video yeah. is brilliant. But yeah. to that to that point, if Since I ever the first scary. thing I the first thing I would say if I ever walked up to Andy Taylor would be like, "What was going through your mind when Simon <laughs> hit that note at Live Aid?" Because I think he'd probably enjoy talking about that. But we have run out of time. A special thanks so much to our guest today, Jake Fogelness. Jake, is there anything you want to? You talked about some of the things you got on the works. Anything else you want to? Uh, fill our listeners in on yeah i'd like rhino to put me on a mailing list again uh <laughs> i'd like you know uh special edition vinyl my copies of devo or albums or you know obviously i have originals but those red and blue ones um uh you can follow me on instagram I'm in such secret development right now. On, I can't talk about or plug anything, uh, but I'm dead serious. I went back on that Rhino mailing list. I got Harold Bronson's book right here, uh, which he gave to me. Uh, the podcast is on a is behind a paywall. Listen to that or don't. I, I don't see any money for it. Uh, and uh, yeah, I want on Rhino's mailing list uh, because I need more records in this house. And um, and uh, and uh, and I'm in real good with Shop Factory. So I'll just I'll just say that John, you're gonna get on real, that. Real good with Shop Factory. So this isn't. I'd like to plug this as an opportunity for Rhino to get in good with me. And now you want to get in now. Because in, it's because it, the stuff I'm working on now's a good time to get it. Understood. A perfect way to end this charity-minded <laughs> yeah. episode. You begging for free stuff? No, 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 no. I'm entitled. <laughs> I have been. I have been doing this for 26 years. I've been in this business. I am entitled to the Rhino stuff. Look. I'll buy the big monkeys box set. That's fine. Of course. Okay. Cause there's only about a thousand of us that are crazy enough to do that. I get that. 
10,000. 10,000, okay? And you still have some in the warehouse. Is it sold out? It's gone, buddy. It's gone. All right, good. So it's a collectible now. But like, you know, some of these, uh, some of these uh, reissues that hopefully aren't from digital sources, you send them to me. I've earned 26 years. I've earned it. I when feel you did earn it today with all your insight on this podcast. I think I think you earned a spot. You got it. You got to You have to. You have to take up space for yourself. If you all don't, right. no one else will. And always be your own advocate. I agree. Yes. Right. Well, I'm your advocate as well because I really Thank enjoy you. that. I'm an advocate for you, John Hughes, as well. You're awesome. I am Lindsay Parker. I'll advocate for myself. I've been joined today by John Hughes and Jake Fulganis, and we want to thank you for listening, guys. Remember to give us a rate and review on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll catch you next time. Feed the world. Bye. This was Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally80s. And please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side. 